Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Sheila Zelensky Show for this February 26, 2016 edition. I just want to say thank you for tuning in from across the globe. Folks, if you have not got my app, please do so. Go to the App Store and type in Weekend Vigilante and get the app. It is a great customizable app, and it has a lot of great features such as all my social media feeds, the podcast, End Time News. It's got some great features, so do get that. And all the shows archived there, just a click away, very convenient for you, the listener. And if you have not got your tickets for Hear the Watchman, do so. You can go to hearthewatchman.com. There also is a direct link on my website at the right-hand corner. So do get your tickets as they are very quickly selling out. There's only a few tickets left, so do get your tickets fast. It's going to be fantastic to see you all out at that event. And if you're going to be in the Houston, Texas area, please do the Appearance Ministries with Augusto Perez. It is going to be fantastic. I can tell you that those are powerful moves of God And I'm really excited. I'm going to be there. So 4th, 5th, 6th of March. If you're going to be in the Houston area, you will definitely want to be attending that. There's more information on my yesterday's bio. That's February 25th's bio. There's a direct link. Light in the darkness, a foreshadowing of his glory. Indeed. It's going to be fantastic. I just want to remind everyone that I was able to reach my goal in my equipment fundraiser. And I want to thank everyone for donating to that. I really appreciate the fact that everyone stepped up. So thank you so much for that. And again, just a reminder that this show is 100% unbiased, uncensored, and listener funded. So please do prayerfully consider monthly donations to the program. And I thank you very much for that. There are very few programs like this on the air today, so I do ask for your support, and I thank you for that. Go to WeekendVigilante.com, click on the Donate, and there is information on how to donate there, and I thank you again for that. Today on the program, I am very excited to have on Patrick Wood. He is the author of Technocracy Rising, 
the Trojan horse of global transformation, and it is my pleasure to have him on the program today. Patrick Wood, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Sheila. Really good to be back with you again. Patrick, coming out of 2016, right out of the gate, there's been such an acceleration. You know, it used to be that every couple days you'd find an incredible headline, and now it's minute to minute. You cannot keep up to these headlines, and it's hard to know where the tail ends and the head starts on this thing. Do you find this acceleration incredible? The times are changing, and we've noticed this acceleration pattern for, for years now. I have especially. I've you know, what used to take 10 years now takes a year. What used to take three years now takes three months. That's just the way it is. Partly, it's because there's an acceleration of technology sophistication. Mm-hmm. It's just growing like crazy. Every week, there's some major new announcement on technology that, that just blows your mind. The other thing is, this whole project of globalization, of, of transformation, of, you know, the, of the global process, this whole project has been in, in the mill for 40 years in earnest. And most of those years were planning years, were infrastructure years, were setting things up years. You know, like a this is a huge project, you might imagine. It's more complex than building a nuclear submarine. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole part of the project, the initial part of the project, is you never see it. You, you don't see those people doing the planning and stuff. It goes way back. But when the building starts to go up, right, when they lay that foundation, you don't even necessarily see the foundation from the street. But when you, you know, you, all of a sudden you see a building going up and you drive by next week and boom, there's six stories of, you know, of structure. And you go, where did that come from? I didn't see that. I wasn't here last week. And you're all amazed. I mean, everybody has that experience. I've had it several times just looking at big buildings. The deal is you don't see all the project stuff that goes in before the, super, the building actually goes up. And that's what's happening to us right now. They're, they're building this thing out finally. They've got everything in place they need. They're building it out like crazy. And we're watching this whole thing going up and go, where did this, you know, where did this come from? Where did that come from? Oh, my gosh, I never saw that coming. Well, we didn't see it coming. The opener of X-Files, of course, it's back on the air. Patrick, this clip I'm going to play really tells the tale, doesn't it? Let's take a listen. I do such a thing and lie about it. Our own government. Your own government lies as a matter of course, as a matter of policy. The Tuskegee experiments on black men in the 30s, Henrietta Lacks. What are they trying to do? That's the missing piece. But it's not hard to imagine. A government hiding, hoarding alien technology for 70 years at the expense of human life and the future of the planet. Driven not only by corporate greed, but a darker objective. The takeover of America. And then the world itself, by any means necessary, however violent, or cruel, or efficient. By severe drought, brought on by weather wars, conducted secretly using aerial contaminants and high-altitude electromagnetic waves. In a state of perpetual war, to create problem, reaction, solution scenarios to distract, enrage, and enslave American citizens at home with tools like the Patriot Act and the National Defense Authorization Act, which abridge the Constitution in the name of national security. The militarization of police forces in cities across the U.S., the building of prison camps by the Federal Emergency Management Agency with no stated purpose, the corporate takeover of food and agriculture, pharmaceuticals and healthcare, even the military in clandestine agendas to fatten, dull, sicken, and control a populace already consumed by consumerism. 
A government that taps your phone, collects your data, and monitors your whereabouts with impunity. A government preparing to use that data against you when it strikes. And the final takeover begins. The takeover of America. By a well-oiled and well-armed multinational group of elites that will call, kill, and subjugate. Happening as we sit here. It's happening all around us. The other shoe waiting to drop. It'll probably start on a Friday. The banks will announce a security action necessitating their computers to go offline all weekend. Digital money will disappear, followed by the detonation of strategic electromagnetic pulse bombs to knock out major grids. What will seem like an attack on America by terrorists or Russia. Or a simulated alien invasion using alien replica vehicles that exist and are already in use. An alien invasion of the U.S. The Russians tried it in 47. You can't say these things. I'm going to say them tomorrow. You can really see the conditioning going on, can't you, in this clip that I just played? Well, there is a conditioning. And the, the movie, the, the first X-Files episode was brilliant as far as, uh, in my estimation, as far as uh, the actual creation of that, yes. of that uh, yes. first show. And the reason I say that is that for people who, who are kind of on the inside of this looking at this, people like yourself and like me, I suppose, we look at... We listened to that movie and said, oh, my gosh, look, they're talking about it. You know, they, they're really treating it seriously. They're talking about it. But to somebody on the outside that doesn't know what we know, they just, you know, turn it on a TV show and there's another one, you know, let's watch that one. They look at something like that and they take those very same topics and they immediately associate them with UFOs and aliens. Right. And well, so they, you know, they're preconditioned to write off everything that we're trying to get through. Let's face it, paranormal activity, that really does get lumped in there with aliens and strange phenomena, doesn't it? Well, it does, and it confuses people. You know, I remember, I remember the final video that um, Francis Schaeffer did on his great series, uh, How Shall We Then Live? Right. At the very end of the last thing, he said the final stage of, you know, whatever, the post-postmodern world is going to be where, where technology gets confused with magic. And it's going to appear as people to be magic. In other words, they're, they're so far di distance from the reality of understanding the technology. To them, it's just magic. It's, they have no concept that something is going on behind the scenes to make it happen. It's just magic. And I think we see that today. A lot of it, you know, ki kids looking, you know, walking down the street, staring at their iPhone, you know, they're like, you know, bowing down to worship the, the the god of Apple, I guess. <laughs> the god and, uh, with the bite you, taken out of it, by the way. I know. And it's like, you know, they just don't, they don't get it. They're like, they're like in la-la land thinking, wow, this is my entitlement now. This, I don't care how it works, but it sure is magic to me. Yeah. And the other thing is, you're right. I mean, we've created this culture of social zombies where I've been in restaurants, Patrick, and I am stunned at the amount of even couples. We're talking people in their 30s, 40s, 50s that are staring at their phone, they're vehemently just zoned out on their phone. They cannot break free from their Facebook updates. Do you find that sad? It is very sad. Socially, it's sad. Uh, from a human point of view, it's sad because people lose connection with other people. Um, you know, we thought 20 years ago, I remember having discussions with people about how evil email was, that it, you know, it breaks social bonds. And, you know, why not just pick up a phone and talk to somebody or go visit them in person? Um, you know, do a handwritten letter, whatever, and all of those issues are on steroids today. 
because people don't have any human connection anymore. Now you layer on top of that virtual reality that's coming at us like a freight train. Within five years, kids will no longer be staring at their phone. They'll be, ha they'll be wearing virtual reality goggles and immersed in a virtual world that could be anywhere in the world or anything in the world, just depending on who's going to program the dumb thing. Which and is frightening. They'll be totally it? disconnected. I mean, if, they're, if you think they're disconnected now, just wait. Yeah. Well, and that's the sad thing is, I mean, there's so many children that you don't see children outside playing and running, you know, climbing trees and playing in your neighborhood. You see kids go over to their houses. What do they do now? They play video games. I mean, we're so far removed of normalcy now, aren't we? And I think that's the piece is what even is normalcy anymore, Patrick? Well, no, that's right. And nobody has had the discussion over where this technology is leading us. That's really, that's really the issue. It's not that the technology is evil in itself, um, but you know, things tend to, systems tend to degrade if they're not maintained and if they're not curated, if you will. And the technology that's coming at us could may well have great benefits to mankind. Some of it, I'm sure, will have great benefits to mankind. But the problem is there are evil people in the world who will use the very same technology for very evil ends. <laughs> and well, we can't discount that. We just can't, you just can't go around saying all the time, oh, you know, we just, we believe in the goodness of man. And, you know, everybody's going to be benevolent with this technology. And, you know, really, it's going to be really good. You know, it's going to be really, you know, building up people and stuff. Yeah. But, but I'm sorry, that's fantasy. That is not the way it's going to happen. It has never happened that way in the history of the world. And, you know, the Bible alludes to it, you know, when it, when it talks about the love of money. The money is not evil, but the love of money is. You know, it, it's a root of all sorts of evil, it says. So technology is not bad, but, you know, in, in itself. But the love of technology, especially when you decide you want to manipulate other people with it, ooh, now you're talking evil. You know, you're talking some very bad outcomes. Well, and, and there's always such nefarious things. I mean, you actually reminded me of something. Of course, you brought up Apple a minute ago, the FBI demanding that Apple break the password encryption on those iPhones. We're living in a police state. And if someone broke into your house, you know, I say to people, are you just going to sit there and are you not going to protect your family? What are you going to do? And I've, I've asked this question to different people, Patrick, and I am stunned <laughs> at the amount of Christians that said, well, what can we do? You know, there's such a, a lulling. It's like, well, you know, I don't have anything to hide. So why do I care that the FBI is demanding Apple break the password encryption? It really, I don't have anything to hide. That boils my blood when people say that, Patrick. Well, it does. And it, it just points out their gross ignorance of life around them. That's all it is. It's just gross ignorance. They have no ignorance of history. No, no, no ignorance of, the, they have ignorance of the law. Uh, ignorance of just you know basic human rights, and they just are dumbstruck. They're they're so dumbed down that they just can't figure this stuff out. The, you know the whole battle going on with uh, with Apple and and the FBI. By the way, this this is really hot in the news right now. I mean, people want to talk about it out there in the world. And my view of this is the the federal government uh, occasionally will get the press involved in an issue. Most of the time, as you know, the the press talks about Kim Kardashian's, you know what, or something, you know. They, they pick up their own topics, the stupid topics. But occasionally, when the, when the feds feed a topic 
to the press to talk about. Usually you need to look behind the scenes. Yeah. Say, Why are they yeah. doing that? Because it's always to lever public opinion. It's a propaganda tool. And the FBI chose to make this a public debate with Apple, to blow it completely out of proportion, whatever, and, and go after Apple in, in the press. And now it's created a huge brouhaha across our country. And other people are watching from outside our country to see what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, you got to ask the question, okay, what's going on here? Well, the fact is the FBI, the CIA, the DHS, the NSA have been slapped down legislatively to drop this line of thinking. This was three years ago. Did it stop them? No. Even when the court order came out, that didn't stop them then. They just kept on doing it. So apparently there's no stopping them. But here's the thing. They keep coming back and back and back to break the door down of, uh, or I should say, yeah, break the back door down to all the technology companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, like, like iPhone and Android and so on. They want access to every cotton-picking thing that has electronic bits in it worldwide all the time. And they feel that the cell phone is an important part of that. And I agree. I, it really is because this is so ubiquitous today. It's all, just all over the world. And like you said, watch everybody walking down the street looking at their smartphones, right? So the feds want this badly. And they, they use the lever of this terrorist act to force Apple in the media because they get public sentiment going with them, see? Yeah. To force Apple to break this thing down for them. But – there are hundreds of other iPhones sitting in the hands of police and law enforcement across the country that are just itching to come right in behind the FBI if they break this damn down. And, you know, it's not just one phone. People say, well, why can't they just give one phone to them? It's not just one phone, folks. It'll be every phone that the, that the, that the law enforcement wants to get a hold of, every single phone will be broken down eventually if they let this Pandora's box get open. And that's what Apple's fighting against. You know, I wouldn't, um, if somebody came up to you, I, even a cop, if a cop come up and said, Sheila, give me your purse, you probably wouldn't react too kindly to that. Well, no, no you wouldn't. can't have my purse. No. It's got a bunch of private stuff in it. Where's your warrant, sir? A man, that's right. A man would feel the same way about his wallet. You know, if you lose your wallet, your driver's license is in there, your credit cards are in there, and it's, oh my gosh, you got, you got a week worth of work just to go out and, you know, kill your credit cards and have them reissued and you know, go down and get a new picture taken for your driver's license, and it's a pain in the in the rear. Well, your cell phone is turning into your purse and your wallet. That's right. Everything is in there. Your passwords are in there because they synchronize from your desktop. Your credit cards are in there because you're using electronic payment systems now that, that work through the smartphone. You've got all your private pictures and your private communication, maybe some stuff you really don't want anybody else to see because it's embarrassing to you if they found out. Patrick, do you find it stunning? I can't even get into my own laptop without putting in my Google password anymore, and they can't even remove it. That is amazing. I'm not surprised, but that is amazing. And then everything on our iMacs are all linked with our iPhones, our iPads, I mean, it's all just synchronized, too. And then you have this litany, close to 100 billion devices will be connected, they say, by 2020, including our automobiles, our smart TVs, our dishwasher, our fridge, our stove, our appliances. Guess what, folks? They've set on record, we're going to spy on you through your smart appliances. I mean, that is something that's right out of a sci-fi, but yet it's happening. And more and more, these personal assistants you see out there, they're based on 
artificial intelligence. And it's just this whole theme to me, Patrick, is we're learning how to be micromanaged by these technocratic oligarchs. It's served them by stealth here. That is what's happening. We are increasingly being corralled in to uh, a behavior that they are that they're orchestrating. It's not nearly as bad as it's going to be in a few years, but just about every you know facet of life you can look at now, you're being corralled in. I mean, you, it, it's hard to get through any store now and not get in an argument with the cashier that you don't want to use your rewards card. You know, well, why don't you have a rewards card? Well, you just fill this thing out. You get it. Well, <laughs> the second you fill out the rewards card, they got a whole nother bucket of information on you <laughs> that, that they will have every time. Every time you go in and buy something new, it gets attached to your rewards card, and they sell that data. Well, they that's hard to the software data. Better. You know, yeah. people think it's just, oh, I'm saving a few bucks. Guess what, folks? Smart saver cards are one data mining operation, aren't they, Patrick? Totally. Totally data mining. They give you a little benefit, you know, and you think, oh, I'll get some points or something like, you know, it used to be S&H green stamps 50 years ago, <laughs> but, but now it's simpler than that. It's just all electronic. You get some little token for, uh, for the stuff that you buy, but otherwise it's a data mining gold mine for them and they sell your data to, uh, to people and pretty soon everybody has your data everywhere. And, uh, you know, this has become ubiquitous, you know, try and go down to your bank machine at your bank, that's when, like, say when the bank is closed inside, try and get out $500 out of your account. You can't do it. They'll say you can only take 200 maybe 300 at the most. Sometimes you see a bank, they'll take four or 500 out, but they won't let you take the cash out. And you, you can say, well, I got, I got $10,000 in the bank. I want some, I want some money. And you cannot get more than that daily allowance out. And you, you can pound on the machine. You can hit it with a hammer. <laughs> You can go to another machine down the street and try and get another $200 out, and they will tell you, sorry, but you've exceeded your daily limit because the two machines talk to each other. You know what it's going to be like, which actually segues nicely in with the next question I wanted your take on, but it reminds me of when you go to travel somewhere soon, the good old green eco-police are going to say, I'm sorry, Patrick, you've exceeded your carbon footprint. This is here now, Patrick. This is a tan. You, you bring up a very tangible topic that actually is documented right now, and, and I, you've probably done your own work on it, but when when Oregon came out with this new uh, GPS device to put into automobiles to track mileage and where you went on which roads you drove uh, in order to give you a tax bill that's uh, going to be in the place of a gasoline tax, supposedly. But uh, they they figure, well, that's the ultimate way to charge for uh, driving on highways, to go see which, driveway, which highway you drove on. And then uh, we'll send you a tax bill that's just for you. It won't be gasoline tax. It'll be specifically for you. Well, I ran across, uh, that's bad enough that they want to track your, your whereabouts, but I ran across um, a university study that was behind that action in, uh, in Oregon. And this study, uh, the, one of the professors did a big slideshow presentation somewhere internally at the school. And I found the, uh, the, I found this slideshow, right? And I'm looking at it. And all of a sudden, they start talking about carbon footprint. You know what carbon footprint is kind of the summation of your life. You know, how much grass do you have that you have to water? How big is your house? What kind of a car do you drive? How much do you travel, et cetera? So your carbon footprint is important to these, whatever you want to call them, these eco-fascists, right? <laughs> well, that's what so, they're called, yeah. 
what they said is that they're going to, the ideal is to use the national database to calculate your, your carbon footprint and create a customized bill, tax bill, for you and you alone based on your carbon footprint. Now that's using other data, even data outside of Oregon, to decide how much to charge you. Now, if you drive a Prius, if you live in a you know a 600 square foot condo and take light rail to work every day, or maybe better, you walk, you might get a tax rebate. But if you drive a gas guzzling SUV, if you've got a you know a, a quarter acre of grass in your yard, maybe some cattle out back that emit too much methane. And if you know if you got a two thousand square foot house and you like to travel um, here and there, whatever, once a month to go on vacation or whatever, then you're going to get a bill that's going to choke a horse to punish you for having such a carbon rich lifestyle. Now this is here right now. This is what they say they're going to do right this second. And these are authoritative sources. So what you just said is exactly right. You might go on the internet someday to buy a plane ticket, say to go to Europe or something on a vacation. And you go in and you put all your information in and you get to that submit button and you click submit. And then a message comes back on the screen and says, you've exceeded your monthly carbon footprint allowance. Try again next month. Good luck. And you, <laughs> and you might even get some suggestions, you know, a list of things, well, Here's where you need to cut back, Mrs. Uh, Zelensky. You need to, maybe you should buy a Prius. Maybe you should start, uh, you know, using your bicycle to ride to work, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you should take your grass out and put in desert landscape or whatever. But this is the way these people are thinking, and this is how they're going to corral us down the road. When they, when they finally get this whole information superhighway thing straightened out and the Internet of Things, we'll be in such a straitjacket, we won't be able to move left or right. Well, and let's not forget George Orwell's, if you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. And then, of course, good old Al Gore the ultimate chicanerous huckster, the unscrupulous charlatan that he is. He says today, actually, there's a Fox News clip, and people can look this up. It says, Al Gore suggests fertility management to fight global warming. It says former Vice President Al Gore raised eyebrows last week when he suggested that fertility management was the key to fighting global warming and promoting economic development in poor countries. Gore's comments drew criticism from free marketers who said his remarks were eco-imperialistic. <laughs> so there you go, eco-imperialism. You know, Gore's agenda for saving the world from global warming has always included population control. And that's what I talk about in my book. And the bottom line is that it's about depopulation, isn't it? It, uh, it is. And uh, it, there's not going to be any resistance or any rebellion against this system until people connect the dots with the pain that they have in their life and how the pain was del- brought to them. They don't get it yet. For instance, the middle class has been decimated, complete. I mean, just wrecked in the in the last eight years of the Obama administration. That's not to say that Bush before him and Clinton before him, and you know, all the way back to at least Jimmy Carter didn't have a hand in that. But the middle class has been decimated. People, record numbers are on food stamps. Uh, record numbers of people have no savings whatsoever. They're living paycheck to paycheck, but they're still living. At least they can still they're still paying their rent. 
but they have no savings. Now, why do they have no savings? Because you can't make any money on savings. You end up spending all your money because why leave it in the bank? And now people are down to the wire and not quite poverty, but they're doggone close to it. But they don't associate the pain of destruction of the middle class with these technocrats, with this, this global transformation process that's going on. When they do connect it, Sheila, there will be trouble in River City. But they haven't connected it yet. And I know you and I are types that want people to connect it. We keep telling them, put two and two together, folks. And, you know, get the picture here. This isn't just happening because bad stuff happens. Of course, bad stuff happens once in a while. But most of the stuff that's happening is a purposeful strategy to transform the world into something completely different than what we have known and grown up with for the last however many years you've been growing up. Indeed, that is so true. You know, you look around at some of these people, their their statements, and it's it's hard to believe that people are not being charged. Why are people not being hung for high treason? I'd like to know that myself. You've got people out there like Mao Zedong in a skirt, good old Hillary Clinton there. Did you see um, Madeleine Albright's comments? You know, there's a special place in hell for people that don't vote for Hillary Clinton. I mean, the the statements they throw out there are unbelievable, and yet we will get charged with oppositional defiance disorder, this new concocted disorder that writes us off as kooks. You know, NDAA and the Patriot Act allow them to whisk us away, shove us in the white coats, never to be heard from again. But these statements are unbelievable, and Madeleine Albright's statement is no exception. Madeleine Albright is, is a member that, an ex-member of the Trilateral Commission, by the way. She was a very famous member of it uh, when she was Secretary of State. She's kind of a female Al Gore in some ways, you know, a real ideologue. So I'm not surprised she'd back up the wife of her buddy, Bill Clinton, who also was a member of the Trilateral Commission. Doesn't Wouldn't surprise me at all. But, um, you know, to hear somebody like Albright come out and start flapping about this stuff is kind of like, you know, Henry Kissinger does this every once in a while, too. <laughs> he comes out of the woodwork. Who knows where he is? But he comes out, gets on TV, and says some of the most outrageous things. And you go, what's that all about? You know, what, what's he, why did he bother even to come out of his closet <laughs> to say anything? <laughs> but here they come, and it's like, gosh, are these people ever going to pass away? <laughs> How old is David Rockefeller? Like, these gosh, guys he's in his 90s. These guys got to be hopped up on some pretty advanced technologies, haven't they, though? I mean, seriously, I mean, they get all the best non-GMO food and probably have seeds in bunkers. Yeah, they're taking all the supplements and everything. They're taking Well, all they have to do is call Ray Kurzweil up and ask him what he takes (laughs) as his supplements all day long and just do what he does. You have an uncanny sense because my next (laughs) comment was actually on this move of transhumanism, though, the lines that are being drawn with now cloning embryos and this, you know, the gene splicing that's actually taken. In 2016, do you notice a real shift down the road of transhumanism like never before? Well, <clears throat> there's two parts of there's two parts of transhumanism. There's the myth, there's the myth of it, the facade, and then there's the reality of it. And as you know, I know you've studied this pretty closely too. In in decades past and in centuries past, uh, transhumanism was a metaphysical proposition. There was no evidence. There was no scientific evidence they could ever pull it off. You know, they talk about the Holy Grail, but who's who's ever seen it? You can't find it. It was a meta, completely a metaphysical proposition. 
uh, that any that that man would become immortal in his own right by his by his own hand. You know, they never had anything to go on tangibly. Well, when science really started to get cooking back in the eighties and the nineties, when transhumanism really got started in the early nineteen nineties, you had people like Max Moore coming forward with his wife, and he's a PhD in philosophy, by the way, but his wife is an artist. Uh, she came forward with him, and they they kind of became the the uh, the spokesman for the yeah, transhuman yeah. movement. And then all these press releases have come out since then about about how the how we're going to achieve immortality and how you know Ray Kurzweil says how we're going to achieve the you know, the singularity is going to completely transform the human condition. We're going to have humans 2.0 and. And, you know, we're going to live forever. We're going to travel travel in space as bits in a computer. <laughs> or we're going to have an Android. You know, we can live permanently in an Android. And all we have to do is go in and have the oil change once in a while. So there's the bluster and the bluff of transhumanism. But underneath, Sheila, you have to ask the question, has science really done anything tangible to actually bring mankind one step closer to immortality? Right. And the answer is no, they haven't. It hasn't. So I believe just like global warming is a scam, <laughs> just like sustainable development is a scam, there's the talk and then there's the substance, right? And the substance of transhumanism is not there. The talk is still there, just like it's been for hundreds of years. But science has not advanced the cause of immortality one step beyond where it's always been. Men still die women still die, and they will continue to die, even if life is extended a little bit. And of course, it has been, even without the transhumanists. You know, when they figured out how to do a heart transplant, a lot of people got a second lease on life. But it didn't mean that they were transhumanists going to live forever either. So the people who think they're going to live forever have pitted themselves against Almighty God. Because the Bible says, it's appointed for man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Well, okay, they have a right to do that. They have a right to say what they want to say. But just for the record, you're pitting yourself against what God clearly says, that the condition of mankind, because of sin, you're going to die. And you're not going to overcome what God has said is certain. <laughs> That's my opinion. Well, Patrick, it's certainly going to be frightening for these la-la land, cotton candy, comatose Christians, isn't it? It's going to be frightening to somebody who doesn't have the the Bible as an anchor for their souls, yeah, it's going to be frightening for them. What's concerning is that mankind has been through these cycles many times before. There has been rebellions against God many times in history. The Tower of Babel was the first one, the big one, but there's been others since then, and there's going to be more in the future, I might add, too. So, you know, what we're going through right now is very much a rebellion against God. We, we, we can look back in history and see that, and I know your book addresses that. And people can rebel and holler and scream and promote their atheist doctrines or whatever as much as they want, but it doesn't change the reality of the fact that sooner or later they're going to come face to face and nose to nose with Almighty God, and they're going to have to make some serious decisions. Hopefully they'll, they'll do that before they die, because once they die, it's too late. But... Um, you know, mankind is going off in this global delusion right now. It's a global religion that's, that's taking place, that's forming up. It's bringing back some of the ancient pagan religious aspects of, um, you know, stuff we saw in the Old Testament even. And, 
you look at it, you shake your head and you say, wow, what are these people thinking? But they really believe that, that they have the answer to life. I, mean, I remember when Shirley MacLaine <laughs> wrote her book. She was a consummate New Ager, and she, uh, what was her book? It was called Out on a Limb or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Out on a Limb, you bet. And I remember the video of her standing on a beach with her arms wide open, screaming at the universe, I am God, I am God, I am God. Okay, surely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, whatever floats your boat, but you get ready to sink. <laughs> that's not the way it is. And then you have a fam- that famous um, physicist uh, by the name of Dr. Richard Seed. Yes. He was the guy, you remember, that was the, made the first cloning stink back in the late 90s. I'm going to clone a human, he said. And everybody got upset, freaked out. Well, he stayed around for a long time, actually, but... He actually said on video that he was going to become a god. He did. And he said, I will become, I will become God. And if you don't like, he's, this is a quote, he says, if you don't like it, you can get off. If you try to kill me, I will kill you. That came out of his mouth. Oh, my gosh, a sophisticated PhD, a physicist of, of the you know, top education quality saying that he is God and you better stay out of my way. or else. Well, they really are self-proclaimed ruling oligarchs who are, in fact, soulless pagans, as you just mentioned. I say that in my book, and their Mm -hmm. designs on reshaping the world into this complete state of totalitarianism, global governance. We see that with the Pope. We see the one world religion fusion here where he signed off two weeks ago to bring the world's leaders together. Because after all, Everyone does need to embrace the goddess Gaia as God. And that's the thing, Patrick, is that Christians are at war with this group and they don't even know it. That's the the stunning part of it because it's designed that way. It's a good example of the Bible's observation in Isaiah 29, 15, that the devil's work is done in the darkness. Because, I mean, look at this. We're, as the West, I always say, you know, when the historians are sifting through the ashes of what once was the free West trying to figure out what happened. Well, we're going to find out that it was done hidden in plain sight. This ungodly Marxist society, that's what we've been radically transformed into, a soulless, ungodly Marxist society. America was the last bastion of freedom. And for that, it is under attack because I really believe it represents everything the founding fathers envisioned, a nation of free people under God. And that really is why I believe it's so attacked. But yet here's the thing. When you go back to the empires of, you know, the Grecian, the Roman, the Babylonian empires, even go back to Nimrod and the paganism that was, it was everywhere. And that's the thing, whether you have the, you know, showdown at the prophets of Baal and Elijah saying, hey, guys, listen up, prophets. You guys better get with the program here. And that's really what we're saying in a way is, How long are you people going to have one foot in the world, one foot conveniently in the things of God? Because that really doesn't work either, does it? It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. You you will find yourself with both feet in the world eventually. And there's an interesting parallel with what's happening today and what happened at the Tower of Babel. If you read the text carefully uh, surrounding that story in the Old Testament of um, uh, what what happened at, at Babel, Prior to that situation, they built houses and stuff with rocks and uh, mortar, clay mixed with water and stuff, and it would they, they'd make a kind of mortar, a cement, a crude cement. But you can't build a very good building with that kind of material. But that's all they had. That was all they knew. Well, 
somebody figured out a new technology on how to build a building. They, if, they, if they used baked bricks that were square um, or rectangular and glued them together with a tar-like substance, maybe just really tar that they just took off of, a, of an oil pool or something, that they could build a building that just would go way high in the sky. And people, people saw this new technology and go, wow, look at that, man. My house is falling down every time a strong wind blows. And you got this thing, and you say you're going to build a tower to heaven. I think you can do that. And they got deceived. And so all the people of the world got on board with that, man. They started building, you know, piling up those bricks and piling up the, you know, getting tar and stuff and putting together their new building to go into heaven. And, of course, God scattered their, you know, scattered the languages, says you're not going to do that. But here's the point. That new technology was a, was a central part of the delusion that came on the people that they could actually build a tower into heaven. And we have the same kind of deception today where there's new technology coming into the world, coming into our view. And the people that want to do things that are anti-God are saying, you know, look at this technology over here. Look what we can do with this. You know, Ray Kurzweil says, look what we can do with the singularity. It's coming, you know, 2045. Oh, we're all going to be doomed. We're, yeah, everything's going to change in the year 2045. And they're building this whole deception based on this new technology that they have at their fingertips. Very similar picture, even though it's more advanced and complex today, but it's a very similar pattern that we see today. Technology is deceiving many people who want to be deceived, I might add, who are spiritual, spiritually-minded people, not Christian-minded, but spiritually-minded people who want to be deceived. They grab a hold of this new technology, and they say, wow, look what we can do. And that's exactly what Richard Seed was saying when he said, I will become God. Here's a guy who had all the technology available to him, all the degrees, all the latest laboratory stuff, you name it. He knew all the other players and the whole business and stuff. And he had completely been deceived into thinking he could achieve it. And he said, I will become God. Absolutely. Well, in Genesis 6, the same thing began when you see the mighty men which are of old, the men of the name. It's just like in the days of Noah, you see these portals for giants, this is, reminds me of CERN because we're really talking about the Tower of Babel, hidden occult meets weird science meets witchcraft. But it's interesting that we're at a time where all this stuff is merging, isn't it? It is. And the significant thing about this last wave and the last rise of um, global warming stuff and climate change stuff is that it brought religion into it, into the mainstream of it. This was not the case 10 years ago. You could see it coming, but it was not there. There was a major conference in 2014 called uh, the Interfaith Summit on Climate Change. Yes, I You remember I, that. I, I know I you remember that. I think we talked book. about it before. <laughs> and the, the World Council of Churches issued a press release right after that. And I think this kind of summarizes exactly what we're talking about. The World Council of Churches said, with pride, I might add, unfortunately, they said, there has never been such a large amount of religious environmental activity in one location in the history of the world. And that, I, amen to that. This week will mark a watershed in the history of religion. It will be the time that people remember as the time when the world's faiths declared themselves irrevocably as green faiths. Yep. And man, if that doesn't send chills up your spine, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, this is not good. You know, if the, if, if, the, if the major religions of the world have been converted, and we know they have, like the Methodists and Episcopalians and the Catholic Church and so on, they're all on board with this stuff. 
okay, that's the major religions of the world, but then you have the evangelical world running after it now too in various ways and in various forms. And and they're they're starting to, you know, get on board with the whole green stuff. You take, you know, some some of the big mega churches today and stuff that are dealing with this, you're like, wow, you know, you look at them and say, are you still a church even? You're a Christian church? You're dealing with all this other stuff now. It's like, boy, did you change? <laughs> the green gospel of the environment movement, it's the largest and most influential social phenomenon today in modern history, Patrick. And it went from sort of this relative obscurity just a few decades ago to spawning thousands, and I mean tens of thousands of committed activists in churches of this green global economic global agenda. So it's weird because this, you remember you go back to the invocation at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, and it's interesting because they were reading directly out of Alice Bailey's Source of Light, The Great Invocation is Lucifer, and the plan that they were referring to in that little speech is the creed of The Great Invocation based in theosophy. You know, that's very closely aligned with Vedic Hinduism. You have Theosophical Society, which originally started in New York in the late 19... Well, it was actually in the 1800s, but it wasn't until Alice Bailey, a hardcore Luciferian, broke away from the society in the early 1900s and created Lucifer Trust. And where where do you think all the, you know, all this uh, disseminated global warming material, where do you think it comes from? It's United Nations uses... Lucius Trust to disseminate all this pagan New Age literature. And Lucius Trust was, and again, if you go back to, of course, Theosophy and you get into, you know, Helena Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, I mean, these are people that are hardcore Luciferians and people just don't get the concepts of New Age and the New World Order. They had their origins in those books, but yet People just passively dismiss it. And yet the cult, as you know, Patrick, they've always had this rank obsession with summoning the power of these ancient demigods, haven't they? That's right. That's right. They have. And it's gotten intensely spiritual now, which was kind of my main point. This whole thing uh, was kind of hiding uh, an incubation, I think, for quite a long time. But once the whole program was unleashed, we see most of this religiosity visibly now in the last 10 years and it's just it's just huge it, it's just the one of the, it's one of the biggest stories in the universe right now on how this whole stuff has come all this stuff has come back to us you know somebody asked me recently a couple of weeks ago what did you think of the super bowl halftime show Sheila said i have three words illuminati lgbt and witchcraft because that's what it was. It was a swirling chaos of this Illuminati imagery pushing a one-world global citizen, the rainbow on there. I mean, yeah, take a sign from when God destroyed the earth and turn it into another sign where God is going to get a little upset. Do you find that interesting? They hijacked God's rainbow, his promise. They hijacked it. And I mean, it was just an infusion of become a global citizen, wasn't it? Well, that's right. And, you know, there was also a time when when all of these types of things, like the LGBT movement, they they existed out. There was people out there that were living that lifestyle, and they didn't bother anybody, and nobody bothered them. That's the way it was when I was growing up. I didn't agree with it, but okay, there's people out there. They didn't, they didn't hassle me. I didn't hassle them. But today, it's not enough just to live the lifestyle. They want you to give hearty approval. They want you to pay for it, yeah. and they want you to pass laws, you know, to make it a civil right. 
It's like, well, okay. Uh, so you, in other words, you want to drag your sin out into the light of day and, you know, using cart rope, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and you want us to give hearty approval to everything you're, you're doing. Right. Oh. Well, we, we ain't going to do that. But see, this is a whole, this is the way it is with the eco movement in general. This is the way it is with the United Nations now. Uh, it's not enough that we're just doing this. You must agree with, you must agree with me. That's what Al Gore called last year, called anybody that didn't agree with him on climate change. You were a denier, he said. And as a denier, uh, you, you deserve to be punished, he said. Well, you deserve only, to be punished. Not only deserve to be punished, but Naomi Oreskes, the Harvard Planetary Sciences head, she actually likes the ideas of, idea of prosecuting people under RICO law, Patrick, for being a denier. And of course, you know, it's not surprising Christina Figueres has said things on record like that herself. So, and which is surprising because she actually announced stepping down. Did you find that move interesting? You know, um, I, we're, we're not, we haven't seen the end of her. I can almost just guarantee that. We haven't seen the end of her. You yeah. know, the, the current president or the current uh, head of the UN is close to stepping down. His term is up. He's, I think he's already said that he's going to step down. And I wouldn't be surprised. I saw another article the day after that saying that another woman at the United Nations saying that it's time for the UN to be headed by a woman. Mm. It'd be the first time. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if Figueres actually got into the top spot there. Uh, wouldn't surprise me either if Bill Clinton got into the top spot. Oh, so. good Lord. We're in <laughs> Anybody <trouble>. but Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't it kind of sort of be Hillary at arm's length? But I guess what bothers me in the whole Scalia death and, and the sort of way that the cards are all being reshuffled, the, the deck's really being reshuffled here, and people are getting into key positions. You look at Loretta Lynch mob, some of her statements. I mean, it's a frightening setup right now, isn't it? Well, they've taken the, the gloves off. They've taken the blinders off. They've, they've taken any m amount of discretion off, and they're just blatantly letting it out. I don't think their heart has changed. I think they just have no discretion on their tongue anymore. They're just, you know, they, they're letting it all hang out, so to speak. What do you think of Donald Trump? What's your take on him? Uh, he's a little scary, uh, uh, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't really gotten into the, into the heat of that battle because I don't really think that national politics is going to help us a lot right now. But, um, you know, people, the people are clamoring for Donald Trump. It reminds me a little bit how they clamored for a king, how Israel clamored for a king when <laughs> they had a yes. pretty good system going. Yeah. And God said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And they, they end up getting Saul. It turned out to be a pretty bad decision in the end of it. <laughs> you know, I say to people, look, be careful what you wish for. You know, you've got everybody and their brothers like on board with, with Trump right now. He hasn't really, in my mind, he hasn't given one concrete policy of something he's actually going to do that's somewhat doable when he, if, he's, if he gets to be president. And in one sense, he's the, he is the consummate technocrat. He really is neither Republican nor is he really Democrat. But he is an operator. You know, he, he is an, an expert in systems theory, if you will. And he's an expert at running businesses, stuff like that. If he runs the country like he runs a business, then he will become the ultimate technocrat that will slam the door on technocracy in our nation. And to me, you know, knowing what I know about technocracy, that's a, that's a 
that is kind of a scary prospect. It's not surprising that he touches on the heartstrings of the patriotism. He doesn't like, of course, you know, the flood of Muslims coming into the country. So it does play on people's hearts because let's face it, those are things you and I want. We don't like the idea of people that want to behead us flooding into our country and giving voting rights, do we? So we don't like the banksters. He's even talking this week of auditing the Fed. Well, we know that's what got JFK in trouble. So it's almost like it's scripted to me, though. Well, just a little bit. You know, we'll, we won't have long to wait, will we? Uh, the, thing <laughs> that, the thing that really disturbs me is that, that Hitler said a lot of the same things. I was just know? actually, the, I'm glad you took it there, Patrick. Cause yeah, was, he, was riding, he was riding on the heels of nationalism, and, and he really played that up, and people liked that kind of talk like they do today. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, how will, how will Trump run the country by any other means than he ran his businesses? But he's a ruthless businessman. Let's not kid ourselves. That's what. That's my point. He's not a. He's not a government. You know, uh, for the people kind of guy, and by the people, he's pretty much a ruthless businessman. Now, if you if you were to take, uh, say, pick a company like IBM, everybody knows a little bit about IBM. They're they're run like uh, you, you know. If you work for IBM, you're the groupie. If you mess up one day. You might be just gone the next day. It's just where'd Joe go? I don't know. They kicked him out. Um, you you you're always on a short leash. I'll tell you what. If you work at IBM or any other big tech company, would you like the America to be run that way? Would you like somebody in charge of the government that would run the government the way IBM runs their company? That would be the perfect technocracy. You see, you'd have to wear your ID card even to go into the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder. And talking about shutting Internet down and building a wall around America and some of the the things he's talking about. I mean, there's so many great things that he discusses. And yet there's things that I just go, what are where are you going with this? So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. The new appointment, though, to the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts on where Obama is going to take that? Well, I'm not sure that he's even going to get a chance to to appoint a justice at this point. Uh, we'll see if he does. I, th- I think probably the Republicans can block him and, you know, wait for somebody else to get in to, uh, to do it. But, you know, if he were, if he were to appoint somebody like a, you know, like a Loretta Lynch or we're in big trouble. And, and, you know, there was a time when there, when, when we did not have an odd number of justices, uh, on the Supreme court. Yeah. And, I would almost be in favor of just letting this appointment go and go back to just having an even number of justices on the Supreme Court. Uh, constitutionally, we could do that. They they expanded the Supreme Court uh, by fiat. They can contract it by fiat as well. And uh, I, I'm I think probably we'd be better off if we had an even number of justices. That would require a two vote spread to get anything to pass. Or to shut it down, and uh, right now it just takes you know, obviously a majority. We see how many, how many, uh, uh, how many cases have we seen decided by that one single vote? There's been tons of them. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, it all ties into this whole, you said it best on your subtitle of your book, it's really the Trojan horse of global transformation. And I really do hope, folks, that you do pick up a copy of Patrick's book. It's Technocracy Rising, again, the Trojan horse of global transformation. It's really where we're at, aren't we, Patrick? 
Well, the transformation is the word that the United Nations uses. The Trilateral Commission uses that term as well. And that's what we need to call it. They're calling it a transformation. And that means that it's a completely different thing coming out the other side. You know, it's, it's not just, a, oh, yeah, I'm getting a makeover. You know, this is not a makeover, folks. This is a transformation. This is like a metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a butterfly, except it's in the other direction. <laughs> you know, we're we're going to go from being a butterfly to being a woolly worm on a, on a plant somewhere, a plant leaf. But it is a transformation. It's not obvious to most people what's taking place. Uh, now that we're beginning to shed light on it, people can understand what's going on. The question is, will they understand? Will they, will they take the blinders off? And will they, will they open up their eyes enough to, to see what's going on? And I hope many Christians, I'm hoping among other things, that, that this kind of material will spark Christians into a new appreciation for Bible prophecy. This has been ripped out of the church over the last 30, 40 years in a horrendous way. And very few people talking about Bible prophecy anymore in a serious tone. And many pastors are actually telling their people, don't bother reading Bible prophecy because it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, to which I say, fooey, that's, that's the kiss of death for, a, for the Christian walk. <laughs> you just, you well, just can't take four or five books and rip them out of your Bible and throw them away. The last book of Revelation has something to say about that. It says well, you don't you know, add to it, you don't take away. <laughs> don't add to it, don't take away. Well, and that's the thing. I've actually heard a pastor recently on YouTube saying, forget about Revelation. It doesn't matter. So, you know, obviously it, it just doesn't matter. And you said the word transformation. Well, isn't that what Obama used? Fundamentally transform all right. But here's the thing. Prophecy is on fire in the world today. And people got to get with the program. And I think the answer to it all is getting back in the Word of God, getting back to basics, you know, so people aren't biblically anemic, and really hear what God's saying. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff going on today, Patrick, you know, everybody and their dog wants to talk about what the devil's doing. But what did God do 2000 years ago at the cross? And that's an important message for today, isn't it? Well, it is. And that's really the most important message for today is uh, basically, that is the only escape hatch, if you will, <laughs> that we have from this <laughs> cesspool of a planet. And uh, I don't want to cheapen that either, but what I'm saying is there's only one way out, and that's, that is through the blood of Christ. And you can either accept it or not, but if you don't, you know, you better get all the gusto in life you can get right now because you ain't going to like what comes later. Well, you got that right. Patrick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program, folks. Bookmark technocracy.news that is the website of Patrick and Patrick again thank you so much for coming on the show and do come back and see us soon hey I'll be glad to do that I love talking with you because we're just like birds of a feather on this stuff it's great (laughs) indeed birds of a feather flock together thanks Patrick folks that was Patrick Wood author of technocracy rising his information is linked there on February 26, 2016 bio. Do check that out. And don't forget, Steve Quayle is on Monday. You're going to want to definitely listen to that show. It's going to be great. And then I'm off for the month of March, and I'm back in the full swing of things, April 1st. Thanks, everyone who donated to the fundraiser. I want to thank you for that. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Good night, and God bless.